here we are, 2016. Welcome to The Grove. I'm so excited to get to share for the first Sunday in this year. Um, it's, it's a great year. We we're a couple days in. We're doing well so far, right? Everybody's holding strong. Everyone has got the resolution still intact. Nobody's broken them. Good. Um, I tried. I, I thought about coffee, but I was like, no, I can't. I can't. So I'm not going to give it up this year. I'm going to hold out strong for another year, and we'll see. We'll revisit that idea maybe next year. Um, but um, so where are the introverts are in the room? Is there any introverts? You don't even want to raise your hand. You're like, no, I can't. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Even though it's a facade, I get on the stage, I can talk, but I am, I am an introvert to the core. And so you guys are, you're, you did it. Like you made it through the holidays. No more gatherings, no more people. You get to have some silence this month, maybe. I mean, I love people, but then sometimes people, you need a break from people. So um, good for you introverts. And for you extroverts, you're just like, what do we do? There's no more parties. Oh, so we'll have to, this is a party. This is a gathering for the extroverts. So this, this past week I was reading and I came across this transcript of a sermon from another pastor. And I couldn't even really tell you what the message was about, but one line in the whole message, I starred, circled, underlined, highlighted, and I had to make sure to bring it to share it with you today. One particular line that he said in, in his message was, if pastors were allowed to only preach about the things that they were 100% sure of and absolutely practiced, they would have nothing to talk about. And I thought, wow, that's brilliant. And so I wrote that down, and the reason I share that with you today is because what I want to share today is a hard like pill to swallow for me. It, and it's this mysterious story of redemption that we're all participating in. We're all different, different players in the game. And it's so complex, it, and it's really, really difficult to wrap your brain around its mystery and also then be able to practice it in how you live. So I am saying that to you because this message is a very big challenge for me. So every person in, in the room today, um, one thing that everybody in here has in common is that you have all had a moment that you have wished for a do-over, right? Like either it was a particular moment, just one small moment, maybe it was an entire day that you wish you could erase from the history of 2015. Or, you know, some of you, you had like a good solid month that you were like, you know, if we could just take out all of last February, that would be good. You know, we, we have these, these times, these conversations, these words that we use, that, these actions that we kind of participate in recklessly, and we wish to the core that we could just do them over. We could forget them, we could erase them, and we could have a do-over. Some nights, I, I'm, I'm sure that I'm not alone in this, but there's some nights that I hit the, the, hit the pillow, all is said and done, all four children have lived, everybody is in bed, and I hit the pillow and I think to myself, okay, God, if you just give me tomorrow, if you just give me one more day, I'm going to do it better. It's going be, to be much better than what I did today. I'll have more patience. I'll be more loving. And I just hit that pillow and I pray that prayer, just give me one more chance. Is anybody there with me? We all want the do-over. It would be so convenient, you know, really, if there was like, this push-like button that we could carry around, you know, when the word comes out that you don't mean to say, and you're like, oh, I'm just going to push that button, you know, the do-over. So one thing I want to do for you 
as we kind of go into this message this morning is as often as possible, I want you guys to feel like I'm just like you. I am I do not like the pedestal. I do not like anyone thinking that I float on clouds because I'm a pastor's wife. I just, I can't, I can't. That's unrealistic. It's it's exhausting. So I'm going to share with you something about me to put you at ease about you. Okay? So that's how it works. Um, This is a magical do-over moment that I wish that I could erase, and I absolutely cannot. It absolutely happened, and I'm going to tell you about it. So then you think, oh, okay, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I'm doing all right. Um, so I was pregnant with Roby. Roby is our littlest of, of the crew. And I had gone to the grocery store and I was home, coming home and I was unloading all the groceries. And you know how like the challenge of the groceries is if you're any bit like me, you're like, I will not carry 10 trips. I'm going to hold as many bags as possible. And I'm going to cut the circulation on my fingers because I am going to, you know, make it. Well, I had gone, and I thought I would make it in one trip, and I had to return because I couldn't. I just couldn't. So I came back out, and I was, my, you know, my back is in the trunk of the car. I'm getting the rest of the groceries. And so I go, and I'm, at, like, to close the trunk. And I have my hands full and pregnant, all those important things to tell you. And so right when I'm doing that, someone, um, that I, someone at that moment starts blaring the horn at me. Now, in the course of me taking the first load of of groceries in and coming back out, I didn't know that Jeff had come up the driveway, like he had come home. So I wasn't expecting a car to be honking at me, like very loudly, pregnant, groceries. I didn't know. So I, you know, some part of rage came out, and I turned around, and before I knew it, a not-so-nice word came out of my mouth. Like, a four-letter, not-so-nice word. Now, I didn't know who the idiot was that was blaring the horn at me, right? I assumed it was Jeff because we live in the same house. So, out of the car, okay, the people that were honking the horn, out of the car comes Jeff. And then, with Jeff, someone that comes to this church, okay? (laughs) And I just said out loud... A very not nice four-letter word to with that person right there. I needed a do-over. You know, it was one of those moments that I couldn't take back. Now, of course, all of those things, like if, if we could change the whole scenario, he shouldn't have honked the horn in the first place. It would have prevented my anger and my rage. Then I would not have said the word that I said, you know. And so it was kind of not really my fault. But... <laughs> But nevertheless, I said the word, and I said it in front of somebody that comes to this church. So I wish in that moment that I could have had a do-over, you know? And so I'm not alone. Every person in here has had hundreds of moments that are just like that, and then some, right? That are even more extreme, that you wish you could take back, you wish you could, you know, rewind, and you wish you could do over. So today, I have some really good news for you. Maybe, maybe the best news that I can give you in all of your 2016. God is in the business of do-overs. He is in the business of do-overs. He, in fact, has this like mysterious and radical and unpredictable grace that he comes and enters our world, and he gives us this do-over. So in 2016, you don't have to wait for that to be granted to you because it's already been given to you. And these 
unforced rhythms of the grace of God, they enter your world again and again and again. They just show up. I mean, in the most unlikely situations. Uh, Brennan Manning is an author I talk to you guys about a lot. He's somebody that I love to read. The book Abba's Child by Brennan Manning, it has changed my life. And, I, and I, I will always talk about it with you. I just love this book so much. But one thing that he says in this book is that life is grace. Everything is grace. And grace will come to you through the most unlikely people in the most unlikely ways. Grace will come to you in the most unlikely people. You know, in my two-year-old Roby, or in my 11-year-old daughter Maisie, in my husband honking the horn at me. Grace comes to you in these moments that are unlikely, that you're not expecting, they're unpredictable, and you cannot, you cannot fathom the way that they enter your world. The do-over that we're longing for has already been given to us, and his grace continues to come towards us, whether or not we're pursuing that, it comes to us. So on this like first Sunday of 2016, what I want to do with you guys is I'm going to try... Uh, to paint a picture of this miraculous story of redemption, the one that's very mysterious to me and very complex and hard for me to wrap my brain around with, like, all the certitude that I want to. There's a lot of unknown answers. There's a lot of things that we may not be able to put into words to articulate. But it's a story of how God has chosen to come to those of us who feel like the misfits, the underdogs, the outcast, the unlikely. He chooses from in the ancient scriptures, we see the pattern of him making his way towards those very people, like you and I. I like to call us the underdogs. And then, and then as this begins to happen, we see then Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus comes as the ultimate do-over for every person in here. God sends his son Jesus. We have been given a do-over And then what Jesus does is like, you know, the icing on the cake to the story is he invites us to come and participate with real living with him, to come away with him, to live a life with him where we walk with him and we portray him to the people that we live with in this world. So first, the first thing that happens is God comes to the underdogs. So have you ever found yourself reading a book um, you're kind of in the midst of the story, and then, and then all of a sudden there's just this one thing, this one line, this one paragraph that just jumps off the page, and you think, there is, it's of no coincidence that the author has put this in the book. I mean, it just, it, it lights up your world. Has that ever happened to anybody? The readers, the readers, some of you, come on, you read books? Come on, you gotta read books. 2016, read a book. Um, okay, so the same thing happens in scripture. Okay, when you open the scripture and you begin to, to look at it as a whole, as a picture of this amazing, miraculous redemption story. This is what God and the, these, the biblical authors are including these, these little like details that if we pay attention to them, we, we will see the richness of this story. So what I want to do with you for this, this first thought here, God coming for the underdogs, is I want to brush through like brush through quickly eight different stories from the old testament that are just these little details that sometimes i think if we miss it we miss out on on the way that god comes for us okay so what i'm going to do is i'm just going to give you kind of just a, i'm not going to read all of genesis and all of this right now but i'm going to just give you a little piece of these stories 
So in Genesis chapter 4, we read the story of Cain and Abel, okay? And in the story of, of Cain and Abel, God favors the sacrifice of Abel over Cain. Now, what is interesting about this story is that who's the older brother in this story? Cain or Abel? Cain. And God favors the sacrifice of Abel over Cain. Now, this seems just like a common story. But if you think about the, these ancient times, and you really think about cultures worldwide, the, the, the significance of the firstborn son is, is extremely important. This is a very important thing to pay attention to. There, this is the, the position that comes with honor. You are, like, you know, in line for the inheritance. You are given favor. Um, sometimes it mean, you know, means that you're next in line to be king. So this is a big deal. And so for some reason here, we read that Abel is given the favor over Cain. And Abel's the younger brother. Okay, so that's, that, that happens there. If you move on in Genesis chapter 16 through 21, you're reading another story about two sons. And these are Abraham's sons, okay? So you, in this story, there's these sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And Ishmael was the firstborn. But he is skipped over in favor of the secondborn, Isaac, okay? So again, two, two brothers, and you have the, the secondborn son is given favor above the firstborn, Isaac. God commanded that to happen. And then we go and we move on, and in Genesis chapters 25 through 27, we're reading about more brothers, okay? And the birthright and the blessing of Isaac's older son Esau ends up falling on Jacob. So you've got the story of Jacob and Esau, okay? And the, the blessing was passed over Esau, and it was given to Jacob. Okay, and there was some trickery in there, and, you know, that's a really interesting story to read, so I encourage you to check out those details. But that's what ends up happening. And then Jacob, he ends up being the father of these 12 sons, and the 12 sons are then the, the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? So this story gets bigger. Then you move on in Genesis chapter 37 through 45, you're reading about the stories of these sons, okay? So Jacob has these sons, and what very interesting thing that ends up happening is with his son Joseph, okay? We've probably heard the story, Joseph and like, you know, the many-colored coat, the technicolor dream coat, that's like a musical of some sort. So this is this story of Joseph. He's the youngest of, he's the 11th in line, okay, of these 12 sons. He's the youngest of, of them at the position of 11th. And he has been chosen to become elevated as the right-hand man to Pharaoh, okay, and, and actually rule and reign above his brothers, his older brothers. And he's positioned in this, he's put in this position right next to Pharaoh in Egypt, so then we move on from Genesis and we're moving into Exodus. And in Exodus, we have the story of Moses, okay? And Moses is in the position to be the rescuer of his people, of Israel. And who is his, who his, his right-hand man? Who helps Moses? His brother, Aaron. Now, Aaron is the older brother. And Moses is chosen He's elevated to this position. He's given this moment where he's able to work for God and help redeem and rescue the people. And he's the younger brother. And this, this kind of pattern just continues. In 1 Samuel, we read of the stories of, of a great King David. 
And, and he is this great king of Israel. He slays, he's like the underdog who slays the giant Goliath. He's chosen to be put in the position of king out of all his brothers. He is the youngest, and he's chosen to be the great King David. And you move on from there. In 1 Kings, you read of the, the next king of Israel to follow David is his son Solomon. Now, Solomon is not the firstborn son. So you have, you have Solomon, and then you have Adonijah, who was actually his firstborn, but Solomon was chosen by God to be elevated into the position of king. So underdog after underdog after underdog. All of these unlikely choices, all of these unlikely blessings passed on to the younger, not the older, to elevated into positions of, you know, the king or of working closely with Pharaoh. So after all, all of these stories, what I wanna, the last thing I want to point out to you about what we see happening in, in, the, in the biblical context of this history is that the nation of Israel then splits. And we have a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. And the, the nation that ends up coming back to prevail, the one to survive, the one to return to, from, after, from exile and to reclaim the land is the southern kingdom. Now, this might be a far stretch, but guess who, make, who is the makeup of the southern kingdom? The tribes of Judah and Benjamin. So Judah is the fourth. Of, remember those 12 sons I was talking to you guys about? So Judah is the fourth, so he's not a firstborn. He's kind of right in the middle of the pack. And then Benjamin is the youngest of the crew. So the younger nation, the southern nation of the younger descendants, is the nation that comes back and prevails, takes back the land, and returns from exile. Now, why on earth am I telling you all of this? It seems that God is trying to, in these small details, get the attention of people like you and I. The people that are walking this earth right now, that, you know, fumbling our way through faith, trying to figure out who God is and what does it mean to follow him? What does it mean to, to have relationship? He comes for the underdog. And he shows us this from the very beginning of the ancient scriptures. He comes for the unlikely choice, the second in line, the person who would not have normally in that culture been chosen to do the job that they were given. So if you've ever felt like the underdog and you, you feel like you're not quite figuring out Christianity, you're just not sure and you're kind of the misfit, you fit right in. Because God has come for people exactly like you and exactly like me. And I'm not picking on firstborns. Like if you're a firstborn, you've missed the point of what I'm saying. I'm not picking on firstborns. You guys are fantastic. I love firstborns. I'm a middle child. Thumbs up. Um, but the, the point isn't the position of the, of the birth order. The point is, is that he makes a, a point, a, a habit of coming to the underdog, the unlikely the unchosen, and that's where I feel like a lot of us can fit right in. So not only does this um, pattern start happening in the Old Testament, we move on, and you know, so God sets setting this redemption story up, and we begin to learn all of these fascinating stories throughout Scripture. And then what happens is there's this like hush over humanity. 
where we really don't hear from God for, for a, a good chunk of years, nearly approximately what the, the historians would say is about 400 years between the end, the conclusion of what we see in the, the Old Testament and then the beginning of the Gospels of the New Testament. So, so God is among the people and he sees the need to then come beside them. And he sends us Jesus. And so what happens is, is that, you know, God makes this habit of coming for the underdog, but then he sends us Jesus as the ultimate do-over. He sends us Jesus as the ultimate do-over. Remember when we were first talking this morning that we all have this want and need to be able to do something over in our lives, to erase a moment, to forget something happened, something that we made uh, a decision on. And Jesus comes to give us that. So he comes and he walks this earth beside us and he goes to the cross for us so that we have this ultimate sacrifice of redemption through him. So I want, I want you guys to listen to these words. I, I'm sure you're familiar with the passage John 3.16. So if I grew up as a, as a little girl. I've heard this in church. Um, I, can, I can say it to you. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Okay? So I want to read that same passage, but I want to read it to you in the message version this morning. I have this habit, if if you ever have borrowed a book from me, or in the future will ever borrow a book from me, um, I have this habit, I'm not good at New Year's resolutions because I don't keep them, so I don't make them, Um, but I I like to go through books, go through books I've read, and I reread things, and I'll write a year next to it. So if you borrowed a book from me, you might find a book that says, like, 2011, like, next to a paragraph. That's me and my language with these books. So this, this passage right here, it has a 2016 right next to it, and I'm going to read it to you guys. So John chapter 3, and I'm going to read this from the message version. I'm going to read verses 16 through 21. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why so that no one need to be destroyed by believing in him, anyone can have whole and lasting life. God God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of what of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went, past, they went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. And this is kind of the the wrap-up here. This is what I want you to listen to. But anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light, and so the work can be seen for the God work it is. Anyone working and living in truth and reality comes to God light, so the work can be seen for the God work that it is. And I wrote 2016 next to that because I think, for me, I need to be reminded that Jesus came for my do-over. For all the ridiculous days that I feel like the underdog mom, 
the less than, you know, perfect pastor's wife, you know, the not good friend, whatever, the whole list. For any of those days that, that you feel that for yourself, Jesus came for the do-over. That's why he came. He didn't, he didn't come to make, you know, a life on this earth and then leave us, you know, empty-handed trying to figure out how to find him. He came to walk beside us so that we could know him and have relationship with him so that we can have the do-over. We can go to him and he forgives all of the things that we bring towards him. We come to him. He comes for the underdog. He comes for the unlikely choices. And then, you know, Jesus comes and invites all of humanity to come and understand the mystery of grace. The, the mystery of what that is. So then something really miraculous happens after that. You know, we, we see God moving in the Old Testament. Jesus comes on the scene. He gives us the ultimate do-over. And the third thing that happens now is, is kind of on our turf. Like, this is where we have the ability to make the decision if we're in the game or if we're not. Jesus then comes, and he invites us to come away with him and to live our real lives. So he doesn't come to just give us the do-over and say, here's grace, now do your thing. He comes so that we have the do-over with him, and then he invites us to come journey with him. And that's on us. That's a participation level of faith. I'm going to read again in the message version in the, in the book of Matthew. And this is another thing that I have in the margin written 2016. So this is in Matthew chapter 11 and just two verses, uh, 28 through 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Come get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. There's an author and speaker and his name is Parker Palmer. And he his background is Methodist. Um, but... He actually spent 14 years of his life working and living a Quaker lifestyle. Um, he actually lived um, like with a group of other Quakers and lived uh, their schedule, their lifestyle, and learned from them. And so when, when he entered into this, this living, he, um, he heard this phrase tossed around by the Quaker, the group that he was a part of. And the, the phrase was, let your life speak. And when he first was a part of the group, he just kind of thought that what that meant was, you know, live, you know, live your life with boldness. Let your life have a, a message. Let, you know, let your life speak. And after um, living there, he in fact learned that the, that phrase had a very different meaning. And he in fact later then wrote a book. Um, there was a book by him called Let Your Life Speak, Parker Palmer. So what he came to learn is that that phrase in that culture actually means more listen to your life. Let your life speak. Listen to your life. And the thought with that being that each one of us has been given a unique life to live, one that God has given to us, and Jesus comes and gives us the do-over, and he invites us to come walk with him, to come away with him so that we can live our real life. 
So when you think of the phrase and you think of the, how that applies to you and I, let your life speak. Are you listening to how your life is speaking? What is it saying to you? Maybe you have so many new goals for 2016 and you want to be a brand new you. And you know, that might work. But I'm wondering if about the 20th, maybe, maybe even the 30th of this month, um, you'll, you'll kind of bottom out, you know? And, you, and you'll feel that, that weight of, you know, that verse in Matthew, are you worn out? Are you tired? I think many of us can relate to that, you know, brushing through the holidays, starting off in the new year. We're tired. And what Jesus does in this invitation with him is he invites us to come away with him, to live our real lives with him. I'm going to invite the band to come um, back up on the stage, and I'm going to tell you another story, and we're going to get ready to worship together again. So Parker Palmer goes on, and he writes the story in this book, Let Your Life Speak, and he talks about the story of a rabbi and a disciple. And this, the relationship between the rabbi and the disciple the, uh, you know, is quite close. They, he's been teaching, and, and they've been doing life together, the disciple learning closely from the rabbi. And one day, the disciple comes to the rabbi, and he says, um, Okay, rabbi, tell me, how can I live my life more like Moses? I want to I live my life more like Moses. And the rabbi pauses, and he thinks for a minute, and then he says back to the disciple, you know, when you move through this life and all is said and done and you stand before God, God will not say to you, thank you for living like Moses. He will say to you, thank you and well done for living like you. Kind of the idea, you know, with that story is that each one of us has been given this journey with Jesus. We've been given this opportunity to learn from him. You know, I, I think that the tragedy in a lot of churches is that we talk of Jesus, we, we like Jesus, we, we even love Jesus, but we don't walk with him. We don't learn from him. We don't model our lives after him. And that's the invitation that he has presented to us and he will keep presenting to us. But what my hope is for us as a church, for myself and for you and I, is that we would come away with him. That we would grab hands and we would say, okay, let's do this. I'm going to listen to my life and I'm going to let it speak for him. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Come away with me and I'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. You keep company with me and you learn how to live freely and lightly. So I wrote 2016 right next to that in this book, the message. And I'm hoping that that is something that I kind of will use almost as a test as I move through this year. That I will say, okay, is this heavy? Is this ill-fitting? Then it's not, then it's not Jesus. Is this making me worn out, tired? Is this giving me anxiety? That's the opposite of Jesus. Okay, all right, all right. So then it's like, okay, then I, I need to work on coming away with him. 
grabbing hands and letting my life be guided by him. So God comes for the underdog. We see that happening in a pattern early on in scripture. And then he gives us the ultimate do-over in Jesus, his son. But the invitation that stands from Jesus is that not that we just get to do it over, but we get to do it all with him. That we get to come away with him and be invited to do life with him. So what we're going to do now is the band is going to lead us in a couple of songs. And um, I love the songs that they're about to sing. I, I know I say that a lot about these guys, but I really, I do really love the words of these songs. And sometimes I feel like, you know, there's this opportunity for you guys to respond, to worship, to sit, to pray. And, and maybe you don't take advantage of that, but I want you to do that today. The first Sunday of 2016, and maybe God is speaking to you to, to reveal to you ways that you really need to come away with him, to live closer to him, to ask him to be a part of how you how you do your days. So whether you sit, stand, kneel, pray, I would invite you guys to use this time for you to allow the spirit to speak to you and to your heart. So would you stand with me if you want, whatever, I don't want to make you do that, but um, those of you who feel comfortable standing,